The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. One of the biggest mistakes so many people make when they talk about innovation or thinking about innovation or innovating is they think it's an event rather than a, a long and often torturous journey. You should never stop innovating. You should never stop evolving. You should never stop changing. What two decades of innovation looks like from a Google vantage point, business unusual, Colin Cullis this evening. Tell me about Google, which is turning into a, a, a fairly adult business, 23 years and counting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking to try and do it uh, through three specific things, a photo, a doodle, and a book. Uh, and for some crazy reason, those three things uh, came together starting on Monday. And, and here I am trying to look at how innovation happens, how things change slowly and fast at the same time, how small, nimble, innovative businesses become huge behemoth and not so great ones in the space of just 23 years. Uh, starting with the doodle, which is the one uh, on Monday that Google posted for itself uh, to mark that it was 23 years old. It has used the doodle on that day since 2009. Uh, Each year, a different one, but always on the 27th of September, the Google Doodle for that day will reflect it. The Doodle itself uh, is a much older thing. In fact, the first one was created by Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the founders, uh, in 1998 when they went off to Burning Man, as I suppose everybody did back then. Uh, and And they created a little version of it with a little Burning Man behind the Google as a way of showing they were out of office. And they first officially used it. Uh, for Bastille Day in 2000 and got such a great response to it that they started using them more often. And in the approximate mm, 8,000 days or so since 2000 we've had now, half of them have had Google Doodles with it. It has its own website. You can go and catalog and look at all of the various Doodles that have been created. They have a permanent design team deciding which ones will get used and uh, when they make it and everything else. So in itself, a pretty remarkable thing. And I think Google, if you're looking for a great pub quiz question, it'll be which company has got the most logos? Because officially, (laughs) that is the Google logo. That changes Mm. all those times. And with over 4,000 of them in just 23 years, that must be some other record. And I'm sure even Andy Rice would say, wow, that's a lot of logos to go through for that period. So that was the first thing that got me thinking, hmm, they're 23. But also on Monday, I happened to see a picture, one of those, here's a picture from your memories kind of thing that... um, your phone and various social platforms do. And it was one from 2011, so 10 years ago. And it was a picture of my living room. Not quite sure why they decided to show me that. It was a pretty random picture. Couldn't see anything significant about it, except for one little appliance that stood out for me, my TV. (laughs) Uh, It looked odd. It was a, a cathode ray tube TV. And I almost forgot that we had cathode ray TVs, yet up until basically then 2011, I think I got a a different one sort of 2013 somewhere. But prior to that, since TV was introduced to South Africa in the 70s, it was the only way we watched TV. And globally, it dates back all the way to the 40s and 50s when TV was first introduced. Yet for some reason, in the space of just 10 years, this thing now looks like an ancient artifact from goodness knows when. And because I happen to use Google Photos on an Android phone, um, I did a search for how many pictures I've got of TVs, because this is the thing with photos. It doesn't just, you know, store your photos for you so you don't fill your phone up uh, and look for pictures of people. So I can say, show me pictures of Bruce, Uh, but I can say, show me of pictures of Pretoria, or I can say, show me pictures of a particular sport or a particular object. In this case, I said, show me pictures of TVs. And I got dozens of responses coming back, sometimes where the TV was just a tiny little part of the picture. Uh, And the first one was back in 2006. And from 2006 to about 2010, all of them were cathode ray TVs, not just my TV, TVs wherever I happen to have them in the picture. 
But from 2010 to 2013, there was a bit of a mix. But after 2013, I have got no pictures of cathode ray TVs anymore. They're just the flat panels. Um, and that's kind of remarkable for me that in that period, I'm pretty sure there were discussions happening about, well, um, you know, are, are, are we going to switch and, and what we're going to switch? And, and even our language was quite intriguing as to how it changed because we used to refer to TVs because South Africa is metric as 54 centimeters. The one I had, I was very proud to have gotten a secondhand 84 centimeter TV, <laughs> which really was enormous. The thing weighed a ton. Um, you could never fit it was, into the back of you could never fit it in the back of a Toyota Corolla. No, I, I really did struggle trying to transport the thing, and thankfully I only had to do it once or twice, and then it, I was done with it. Uh, but we, we stopped using the centimeter metrics, because once you get over 100 centimeters with just about every television is these days, it's kind of awkward referring to something as 100 and something centimeters. So we switched to the inches, which is a little bit easier for us. But even the inches has kind of become uh, part of our history because the TVs have gotten so big, we don't refer to them by the line spaces or the, uh, uh, the pixel counts, or we do use the pixel counts or the, the sizes. It's now 4K and 8K that we simply refer to the size of the picture. And along with the sizes that have gone up incrementally, the prices were a massive barrier initially. I remember the plasmas, which was the first iteration, were going for as much as 100,000 Rand for a 32-inch plasma TV. 32 inches is basically the smallest TV you get these days. In fact, it's probably the starting point for a computer monitor. Well, no, it's a, it's a good size computer monitor, to be fair, but it's, it's the starting size uh, for, for TVs. Um, and they've gone through, you know, plasmas, LCDs, LED, OLEDs, and whatever version we've got right now. And so from 100,000 Rand, it's come all the way down to under 10,000 Rand for that same probably way, way better technology. And it's not just gotten sort of lighter on your pocket. The TVs themselves are wafer thin. They weigh, well, they, they still weigh something, but nothing like the dead weight that was that uh, TV that I had from 2011. And in some respects, I suppose it means that uh, the term goggle box, which certainly we use or the telly or the notion of the box, for any child born after 2010 is, <laughs> is not going to apply because TVs simply for them we're not boxes. They haven't been, and they never will be again. And so that was kind of a, a small snapshot looking at that particular technology, that from one year to the next, you didn't notice a massive difference. Nobody was saying, oh, I've got to run out to the shops and go get the latest, greatest TV. But over time, it's remarkable how much has changed. And the other night we were talking about the latest iPhones, and there too, phones have had dramatic changes over the period of time. But incrementally in each, in each year, we didn't necessarily note it. And ahead of the show, just to say, hey, we're chatting about this, I made the comparison between the Apple Watch uh, being way more powerful than the Apollo computer that landed man on the moon. And, and, you know, that's not even that amazing because the Nokia 3310 is more powerful than the, Apple, than the Apollo computer that landed man on the moon. So we've had this incredible power for quite some time. We haven't necessarily put it to, to very good use, but there you go. Then the book that I was referring to is one called The Every. It's by a guy called uh, uh, Dave Eggers, and he originally made one called The Circle in 2016, which talked about the social media search company uh, that wanted to be hugely transparent and amazingly transformative. And of course, everything goes wrong because Black Mirror style, when you try and be too transparent and you get too big and everybody's online all the time, you know, bad things happen. Privacy is an issue, with, is an issue and, and that's you know, the, the fallout of the, of the book and the movie that was made subsequently. Well, his latest version now is called The Every, and it imagines that same social media slash search company uh, merging with the world's largest e-commerce company. So kind of if Google and Amazon merged. Uh, and that's kind of a novel idea, and, and the book has quite a novel way of being sold. Uh, it's going to be available in an audio form. It is going to be available in a digital form. But until the, uh, the 16th of November, you can only go to a bookstore and buy it in print as a way of them saying, 
this is how it should have been. You should have a piece of paper in your hands to never forget uh, what the potential uh, consequence of this is. But this is where it goes back to going back those 23 years and seeing how things have actually changed. Because back in 2004, a guy called Robert Sloan imagined where this could all go, particularly given that everybody was optimistic and, and, and super hopeful that everything would be great. And he thought, well, maybe this wasn't going to be great for everybody. And there was already signs then that the challenges to journalism, the, the erosion of ad money to newspapers are already happening as it was shifting to search. And so he created this uh, little video exercise he called Epic 2014 and then updated the next year to called Epic 2015 about what would happen if a massive search company or the massive uh, technology companies took over media and became sort of a replacement for all of that stuff. And, and the Epic part refers to this... Um, uh, what does he call it? The evolution. Oh, I'm going to have to go and look it up now. Anyway, it's, it's, it's this term about this amazing company that combines all things. Uh, and in this 10-minute video that he created for it, it paints this picture of how Microsoft uh, bought Friendster. Uh, effectively, Facebook didn't exist at the time. Friendster was like the Facebook. Uh, and then uh, included sort of a news aggregator service to create this new search function that was the Microsoft side of things. And then Google and Amazon um, merged to create Google's on. And that was kind of a word that stuck actually for a lot of people, this Google's on idea. Uh, and that supposedly in 2014 slash 2015, depending on which version you watched, Google's on turns on this thing called Epic. And here's a little clip uh, from that video about what happens when Google's on Epic switches on. On Sunday, March 9th, 2014, Google's on unleashes Epic. The evolving personalized information construct is the system by which our sprawling chaotic mediascape is filtered, ordered, and delivered. Everyone contributes and many people get paid. A tiny cut of Google's on's immense advertising revenue, proportional to the popularity of their contributions. Epic produces a custom content package for each user, using his choices, his consumption habits, his interests, his demographic, his social network to shape the product. At its best, tailored to its savviest readers, Epic is a summary of the world deeper, broader, and more nuanced than anything ever available before. But at its worst, and for too many, Epic is merely a collection of trivia, much of it untrue, all of it narrow, shallow, and sensational. I feel I like I'm listening that. to a Bond villain um, in, the <laughs> in the new Bond movie, which is coming out this week. Um, it, it feels remarkably unsettling. Yeah, and you know what? That is literally the revenue model for YouTube. The only place you can still find that video, because of course it came out before YouTube, is on YouTube. Uh, that's literally where I got it, and I will embed the video uh, for in the article online for people to go, to go and watch it. And he absolutely nailed what was going to happen. Given that this was done in 2005, the year YouTube was founded, 2006, Google acquired it. And I've got to say, for Google, they have made you know, many positive things. They have got over 100 products they support. They have killed nearly twice that number. Most of them acquisitions, other small startups that were hoping to get a, a foot in the, in, into the game and, and acquired and then either pushed to the side or, or used and incorporated into some amazing things, things like uh, their Google Maps and navigation, which has transformed everything. These are all part of acquisitions they've made over time. Their biggest misstep, I think, still, uh, not counting that they might still be making more, and there are some that still need to be resolved, is one called Project Dragonfly. 
And initially in 20, sort of 20, 2006 to 2010, they were looking to try and be a search engine in China. Now, China operates the sort of Great Wall of China, so things there work differently to the rest of the world. Chinese authorities require all companies to adhere to certain regulations that they need. And when you think about search, there were regulations about what you might find and, and whether or not on how you report who would get access to it. And initially, uh, by 2010, Google found that it couldn't comply with what the Chinese authorities wanted, and so they pulled out. And there we thought we left it. But as Google got bigger and bigger, and it started you know, sort of dominating the rest of the world, saying no to over a billion people in China for, for your next opportunity for growth and revenue and shareholder value was just something too big to, to say no to. So in 2018, this notion of Project um, Dragonfly was created. And it was, in fact, leaked by a Google employee to say, I'm not happy that my company is going back to China, and by the looks of it, willing to comply with everything that the Chinese authority want to connect somebody who does and any search they do to their phone, so they would not know what you look for, but who and where you are, and report that to the Chinese authorities with little questions asked. And it was only when it became public and they really started getting challenged about it, that they said, actually, no, it was just a test. We're not really looking to do too much with it. And then persisted with it a little bit till finally killing it in 2019. And I imagine they will probably still wind up going back again. And in fact, the most recent one is related to Google, having gotten a lot of requests from Russian authorities to remove things and to limit who got, who's got access to information, including the most recent elections, where there was an app that they were asked to take off of the Android store that Alexei Navalny is, uh, um, is an activist over there that looked to put together to help opposition uh, uh, um, candidates have a better chance of tactically winning against the, the one set up by Vladimir Putin's sort of ruling party. And this is a challenge for a very large company. They, they, they can't do small things anymore and make money. They need to do big things. They need to do bold things. And when you do big, bold things, the opportunity for doing things wrong gets greater. Uh, and so I'll leave a little more online that how this all goes. But the lesson for the future and for all of these large companies is that invariably they are going to make some missteps. Uh, they are going to need regulation because simply they, they moved into spaces that had no regulation. Uh, and then unless we start doing it as Europe American authorities and hopefully South Africa and, and, and the rest of the other continents start doing the same, uh, we're going to continue to see them making mistakes. And maybe if there is an opportunity, given that Europe and America have had the, the, the lion's share of these new things that have been created, maybe one will rise from Africa to challenge them. That is search and, and, and um, commerce and all of these other kinds of things. But rather than calling it Google's on, perhaps we can refer to it as Amazugal. <laughs> Colin Cullis, I was wondering where you were going. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual.